If you have your Bibles today, we, we do want to spend some time in the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians, we're going to look chapter 3. And as you find chapter 3, go ahead and find verse 4. We're going to read verse 4 through verse 18. And we're going to think for a few moments on experiencing liberty. We've just celebrated the 4th of July. We've celebrated our freedom as a country. And today we want to talk very briefly concerning the liberty that we have with Jesus. Do you remember the movie, The Karate Kid? The first one. <laughs> the, the original. Um, uh, if, you, if you do recall, a teenager, Daniel LaRusso, he asked... Mr. Miyagi, a maintenance man, if he would teach him karate. Daniel had been bullied. He had been beaten up by other karate uh, students. And he was, he was really being terrorized, being a new kid in California coming from New Jersey. He just wasn't fitting in. And even when he went to, to sign up for karate, he noticed the same bullies that had been torturing him were in this dojo. So he left discouraged, and he finds out that Mr. Miyagi, a maintenance man, knows karate, knows, is very fluent in this, and is, is very uh, well-trained. So he asked him to train him. Well, Mr. Miyagi, through some pleading on Daniel's part, he agreed on the one condition. That is that Daniel must submit to the instruction that Mr. Miyagi gave without questions to his methods. So Daniel shows up eagerly the next day, and he's ready to learn this, this art. Unexpectedly, his first lesson began with Mr. Miyagi giving him precise instructions on how to wash and wax three vehicles. He didn't understand what was going on. The next day, he comes back for another lesson. And as he comes, he gets precise instructions again on how to paint a fence. Up and down, up and down. A little discouraged, he leaves, he comes back the next day and he gets precise instructions again on how to paint a house. Side to side. He is really discouraged, especially when he's finishing up the house and he sees Mr. Miyagi's coming with a fishing pole in his hand. He loved the fish. He would have loved to have went with him, but instead he had a chore to do in his mind. On the very next day, he gets instructions from Mr. Miyagi. And about this time, he's really frustrated. Daniel's about fed up, but he gets precise instructions on how to sand the floor. You know, the motion for sanding the floor were longer or wider circles than that of wax in the cars. And it was going in a different direction. When they waxed the cars, it was going from left to right with your left hand. And you was going from right to left with your right hand. Y'all didn't think I'd get that right, did you? <laughs> but when it was sanding the floor, he was making big circles with his left hand from right to left. And opposite with his right hand. Oh, he was hurting in his shoulders and he didn't know what to do other than he was angry. The, the movie shares some profanity that he uses. And he basically tells Mr. Miyagi when he walks up, all you've had me to do is chores that you didn't want to do. And you don't know anything about karate. If you're not going to teach me, why waste my time? Now, that's in my terms. I couldn't have been an actor. 
So Mr. Miyagi is frustrated because Daniel now has broken his agreement. He's broken his agreement to where he would not question the method. So Mr. Miyagi tells him, okay, now defend yourself. And as he begins to defend himself while Mr. Miyagi is throwing punches, those moves that Mr. Miyagi taught uh, was giving him precise instruction for while he was waxing the car, while he was painting the fence, while he was painting the house, while he was sanding the floor, those precise instructions were able, he was able to defend himself from punches and kicks that was given by Mr. Miyagi. So in the midst of defending himself, Daniel was defending Mr. Miyagi's methods. How often are we impatiently seeking God to defend himself or even to defend us? How many times have we wondered, when is God going to show up? Only to find that he is defended when the work that he's doing in us and through us is being revealed. We miss that so often. God is defending himself in us and through us whenever he is having us to do the things he is preparing us for. We want him to come right on, right on our time and in our time we're not ready. But if we'll wait for him, he'll defend himself by showing us he's using us all along. When we get here in this book, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, what we find is is a ministry handbook. We find Paul is in defense of his apostleship with, um, with the Corinthians. In his letter, he has to defend this to the church so that he gives them instructions on ministry. In other words, in order to defend himself, he's given them instructions that God has given him. So when we look in this passage, the Bible tells us in verses 4 through 18... It says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we were sufficient, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that it sells. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have, much, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at, at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. 
Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But with all, but we all with unveiled, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that you've given us and the hope that we receive through your son, Jesus Christ. Now we pray that you would speak to our hearts throughout the remainder of our time together. That whatever said and done would glorify you and magnify your son. And if there's one with us today who doesn't know you through the forgiveness of their sins. Through Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God we pray that you would speak to their hearts. And that today would be a day that they'd call upon you. This we ask in Jesus holy name. Amen. Now as this chapter opens up. Paul asks a question. He asked them, basically, why would they need to bring letters of recommendation? Paul insisted that, and here we find in verse 1 where he asked that. So it seems like prior to Paul writing this letter that the Corinthian believers had sent for a letter of recommendation from Paul. They wanted to know his credentials. They wanted to know why it was that he had the right to teach what he had taught previously when he had been in Corinth. Why what was in the first letter that he sent to them was actually there. As a matter of fact, we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Many scholars believe that it's actually three different letters. That 1 Corinthians was two letters combined into one. And this third letter was one that they, they after reading the first two letters, that, that they had questions about. And they went to challenge Paul. And now Paul is writing this back to them and, and here he's asking them why why would I need to, to send a letter of recommendation in other words he's telling them look at those who've been converted they are my letter they should serve as enough of a witness of who I am and what I've been teaching and that I've been teaching is the truth he's telling them that the, the letter for them that, that they find is written in their heart it's not written on stone any longer Aren't you glad that God doesn't, he, we don't write in stone anymore. I'm so glad the thing, the letter is not written in stone, but it's now, it's, it can be written in our heart to where we can, we can know the truth of God. Paul was very confident that these Christian converts were enough to serve as his letter of recommendation. That, that they themselves were letters that were inked by the living God. As we continue in this chapter, what we find is Paul defends the new covenant in Jesus that he had shared with the new believers in Corinth by comparing them to the old covenant that was given to Moses. So what we find here in these next few minutes, we want to look at the Mosaic Covenant in these verses. What we find is the Mosaic Covenant came without power. It came without the power to produce life. Even though it didn't have the power to produce life, what it did do is it came in glory. We see that there in verse 7 where it says, But in the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily upon the face of Moses because of the glory 
glory of his countenance, which the glory was passing away. Here, it's letting us know that, that, the, that the, it did come with glory. Even though it could produce life, there was glory in this. It takes us back to the scene where Moses' face was shining with God's glory as he came down from a mountain with the tablets of the law, and he was causing fear among all the Israelites. What we see in Exodus 34, 29 through 30, is that the Bible says now... Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Here we find that, that while, here we find the glory of God, it was shown right in front of Moses. You know where? why it was so glorious that Moses had these tablets? Because Moses was able to receive them from God himself. He was able to see God face to face, basically. And when he saw God, when he spoke with God, when he spent time with God alone on that mountain, the glory of God shone upon him. I want to tell you, when we spend time with God, when we get with God and all by ourselves, when we, when we have talked with God and God has really impacted our life and begins to transform us, the world will see the glory of God in and through our lives. Here the people were able to see this him Moses so much that they were afraid but while this covenant did come with glory from God it was these tablets of stone became a ministry of death and we see that there in the first part of verse 7 where he says, but if the ministry of death, he's, he's speaking here of, of the law. He's speaking here of, uh, of this Mosaic covenant. It was a ministry of death. Why was it a ministry of death? Because along with receiving the law came the curse for breaking the law. And the curse was death. You know, you, you have no consequences to something that you don't have information on. And here when, when Moses came down with the tablets, he gave them the law. They didn't have the law prior. They just had to follow God. But now they have a written law. And be, when you have knowledge of something, you become responsible to what you have knowledge of oh somebody somebody's going to get quiet right now because once we come to understand who we are in Christ once we come to understand our responsibility we have we, we are held accountable to it and we are so afraid to serve in positions we're so afraid to do what God has called us to do because we know once we admit that we understand it then we're held accountable Amen. here Moses come down with the law and the law made Israel accountable. And if they broke the law, it meant death. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 19 says this. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love your, the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to teach and to keep his commandments. His statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But here he's given them information. Now that they've got information, they're held accountable to that information. And they're given, they're given the consequences 
to them failing to be accountable. He says, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you, which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Yes, this was, this was a ministry of death. Because they were given a law. And because they were given the law, now they became responsible to the law. You know, in our court system, we're governed by laws that are extensions of the Mosaic law. We've added to and reinterpreted some of those laws differently. But one thing that we've done is said that's different than what God has said is that the punishment must fit the crime. (laughs) God's law says that if you break one, you've broken all. And if you've broken any, then you receive death. James 2 and 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And there is a reality to this. Israel broke God's covenant and the Israelites died and the nation died. In 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 21, it teaches us that God sent messengers to Israel, warned them of their disobedience, but Israel mocked those messengers. Israel then allowed, and because they mocked the messengers, God allowed the the king of of the Chaldeans to overthrow Jerusalem. He allowed them to kill the Israel's men. He allowed them to ravage their women. He allowed them to burn down the temple. And those who did escape, they were taken into Babylon into captivity and to become servants of the Persian king. The glory of the Mosaic covenant was this. God himself gave it to Moses face to face. His glory shows us how imperfect we are and how perfect and holy God is and his glory shows us that we can never live up to the standard of of God's holiness on our own so therefore it's a ministry of death because we can't live up to it we can't honor God by keeping his law many of us think that we can there are preachers all over says well You can go days without sinning. You can go days without choosing to sin. That don't mean you'll go that day without sinning. There are sins of omission and commission. There are sins that we're not even aware we're committing. And for us to have the audacity to think that I've lived a holy and perfect day on my own, then we don't know the God of glory who gave us this book. Yes, Paul wants us to understand the Mosaic Covenant, that it is limited. <laughs> he wanted, though it's glorious, it's not as glorious as the new covenant in Christ. When we look here, he continues in this passage by contrasting them. He's letting us know in the contrast that the covenant of the Spirit is more glorious than the covenant of the law. Here, Paul wants us to understand, and we see this now in the new covenant in Christ. He wants us to understand that the glory of the Mosaic covenant, it fades away. 
You know, that, that's why this, the Mosaic Covenant is insufficient or it's not sufficient to save us. It's not sufficient to, to provide life to us. It is sufficient to bring death, but not to bring life. So Paul wants us to understand this. It, 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 this Mosaic Covenant, it does fade away. The old covenant or the law broke condemnation. The new covenant brings righteousness. The law condemned us when we broke the law. It separated us from God, which meant death. However, the new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit, we can receive God's righteousness. We can receive his very nature to be a part of who we are. In 2 Peter 1 and 4, the Bible says that, that we may be partakers of the of the divine nature. In other words, we can be part of God's nature. We can have God's nature in us. Yeah, you've read in the Bible about the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's very nature and we take hold of that whenever we spend more time with God. Whenever we allow the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our lives. Whenever we are obedient to God's word, we take upon God's nature. Because of this, the glory of the new covenant far exceeds the old covenant. As a matter of fact, as compared, if you compare the two, the covenant of the Spirit with the, with the covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant, you find that there's no glory at all in the covenant of Moses. That the glory is found in the covenant of the Spirit. Why is that? While the glory... It's because the glory of the Mosaic Covenant is temporary, where the glory of the New Covenant is permanent. There is no other new relationship set up between God and man. There will be no new way for us to be reconciled to God. Contrary to the opinion of this world, we can only be made right with God through a relationship with him, through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Not through Buddha, not through the Hindus, not through Jehovah, not through, not through any other religion in this world. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Man can tell us whatever they want to tell us. We can't rewrite what God has written and said it is truth <laughs> I better leave that alone. That's going to be of me. I'm going to leave that there. Y'all don't mind me sticking with the word, do you? This covenant that we have, this covenant of the Spirit is the final covenant between God and man. And it's been established forever. What's been established is that when we receive Jesus Christ... As our personal Savior, the Spirit of God is quickened. It's made alive in us, and that's permanent. <laughs> there are those who teach against the fact that, we, that when we are genuinely, when we've re genuinely received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that we've been, that we've been made, we've been made part of Him, and He is part of us, and that we have eternal life. When we speak about being eternally secure, it scares the daylights out of people, but it should excite everybody. There's so many who hear that and they think that we're teaching a heresy when we're teaching the very truth of God's word because our eternal security has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who God is and what he has done through his son and what his son is doing in our lives. 
It's everything to do with him and nothing to do with us. That's what makes <laughs> this covenant so more glorious. In the old covenant, I had to do something. I had to live up to God's standards, which I very well couldn't do. But in the new covenant, Jesus lived up to God's standards. And because he has taken hold of my life and he lives and reigns within me, I have now an advocate with the Father that when I fail, he is there to plead my case. He's there to defend me. Amen. And our defense is washed in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> but this covenant is not, not only glorious, more glorious, but it's also this covenant removes the veil here when he speaks about the veil being removed Paul is speaking of, of Exodus 34 32 through 35 when after Moses had had given the children of Israel the commandments of the Lord he covered his face with a veil and when he went before the Lord he would remove the veil but when he came back before the people he would he would cover his face again with the veil He was giving them the word of God with a veil. If I placed a veil in front of me, you wouldn't get half of what I would tell you. Your minds would wander. If all you, if you weren't doing anything but listening to me over the radio right now, you were all seated, gathered together. You know what you'd do? You'd talk to one another. You would miss something. There's something that would be kept from you from the message that you wouldn't get. As a matter of fact, even with you looking at me, it's probably hard for some of you to stay awake long enough to hear everything that I'm saying. There's probably some things that, that move from, from your attention and back to your attention. I say that because we're human. I've sat in worship service. I've listened to preachers that I dearly love and enjoy. And there are some things I can't get everything because I'm trying to write everything. And I miss things. Here, Moses is standing before the people with a veil covering him. Giving them God's word. And they weren't understanding what God was giving them. They weren't able to see the truth. And even today, when people choose to live by the law of Moses, the glory of God is covered so that they can't see the truth. It's only when we turn to Jesus and receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior that the veil is lifted and we can know the truth. The truth is Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. There's no way that they could, we could see that just in the law. We had, Jesus had to come. And when Jesus came, we began to see that he is the fulfillment of this. He is everything that we've been looking for. He is the one that, that, that gives us and explains to us the truth of God's law. Here we want to think that we can live accordingly. Many want to think that they can live good enough. Well, Romans 3 and 23 says, For all is sin and fall short of the glory of God. One writer said this, If I wrote down every thought I've ever thought and every deed I'd ever done, Men would call me a monster of depravity. What would people call you if they knew your every thought and knew your every deed? 
Why don't people call me? You know what you know about me? What I allow you to see. Amen. You don't know anything other than what I allow you to see. Because who we are are depraved. Who we are are sinful. Who we are is undeserving of God's grace. But because of the glorious covenant of the Spirit, <laughs> we can be children of God. Aren't you glad we have this more glorious covenant? The Mosaic covenant would condemn us, but we have grace and truth in the covenant of the Spirit. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, where his Spirit is, there is liberty. Whom the Son is set free is free indeed. And this weekend we've celebrated this country's freedom. Men and women have bled and died to ensure that we would have a place where there is freedom. And there's no other country governed by men on earth today that I'd rather live in than in this country. And there are those who are bashing and criticizing and beating up this country. There are those who are failing to recognize the men and women who have bled and died for our country. There are those who, who want to say that they are American, but they're ashamed to tell it. They should leave this country. There are people trying to get here from other countries because this is the best country there is in the world. And our own people are trying to destroy us. While this is a great place, the truth is this place fails in comparison to the country where we, who have been set free by Jesus, will spend eternity we're talking about a country where all things will be made new. A place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. A place where there'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. A place where there'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Vestal Goodman sang a song that Gloria gave the rope. He said, a country where no twilight shadows deepen. An ending day where night will never be. A city where no storm clouds ever gather. This is just what heaven means to me. What will it be when we get over yonder? Where we'll join the throng around the glassy sea. We'll join our loved ones and crown Christ forever. This is just what heaven means to me. And when at last we see the face of Jesus, before whose image other loves all flee. And when they crown him Lord of all, I'll be there. But this is just what heaven means to me. Oh, the blood of men and women that have given for our freedom here, on, here in the United States, we can never look at it lightly. We can never take it for granted. But the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ only gives us liberty. Not only here, but liberty for all eternity. We, the liberty that we have, we must be reminded. We're not free to sin. The liberty we have in Christ does not excuse us to live a careless life. We do not have liberty to live any kind of way we want to live. But instead, we have the freedom, but we have the liberty to know Jesus. 
We have the freedom or the liberty to grasp hold of his character and his likeness. What was once veiled has now been cleared. What we once, when we once couldn't come to him, we can now boldly come to his throne of grace. Amen. We have freedom and liberty to serve the Lord according to his will and without fear. Once the spirit of the Lord was quickened within us, we can know then and forevermore that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will teach us. He will lead us, guide us, convict us. It's the spirit of God who's transforming us into the very image of his son. Yes, the new covenant is much more glorious than the old covenant. Some of you here today may be defending yourselves for not serving the Lord. You may, you may try to come up with excuses as to why at this point in your life you're not choosing to serve him. Some of you have come up with a defense that I have time. I'm too young or I have more living I want to do. Some of you have come up with a defense that Look at everyone else. Oh, that's the most popular one today. Because that defense says if they are going to make it to heaven, so am I. <laughs> well, any way you want to look at it, your defense is wrong. You don't have time. The Bible declares that today is the day of redemption. So tomorrow is not promised. The Bible tells us, it helps us to understand that we can't be right with God by others' relationships to God. We must know that we know that we know that we've been born again. Amen. The Bible declares that you must be born again. Billy Graham once said this, one of the bonuses of being a Christian is the glorious hope that extends beyond the grave into the glory of God's tomorrow. And the glorious hope only comes when we have liberty. And we'll only have true liberty when the Spirit of the Lord is made alive in us. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner, and that you are in need of a Savior. And believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins. And that He died for our sins. And He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart. And you must be willing to serve Him. If you are. All you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.